0: When you have sinned, there is no more beautiful word than the word forgiveness. You've been broken, realize that you have done wrong, and then you come to Jesus and you hear those words, be of good cheer, you are forgiven. And that's what we see this morning as we look at the 51st Psalm. We've been sampling some of the Psalms in the last few weeks. And Psalm 51 is probably one of the more familiar psalms. It's uh, maybe the greatest psalm of confession that we find in the Scripture. Psalm 51. Let's begin reading at verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face. From my sins and blot out all my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, And sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we sense the... Urgency, the seriousness of David's heart as he pours out his heart to you in this psalm. He recognizes, O God, that he justly deserves your condemnation. But he comes to you on the basis of your loving kindness, the basis of your mercy, the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus the blood that was shed on that cross. Father, would you teach us today as as we open your word? Would you guide us into your truth, Lord? We believe that your word is everlasting truth. I pray that the words of my mouth today, the, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of the clearest examples in Scripture of a godly man who fell into sin is is David. And in some ways, David is, I don't know if we'd say a surprising example, maybe a shocking example of of what can happen to even one who loves the Lord. Uh, David is described in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14 as a man after God's own heart. And so here was a man who was serious about his commitment to God. Here was a man who endeavored to live in obedience to the Lord. And for the most part, he did. There's a verse I came across this past week that I had kind of forgotten about, but 1 Kings 15.5 makes this statement about David. And listen to what it says. David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he he commanded him all the days of his life, except, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. That word except is a pretty significant word, isn't it? Because what David did here, really hindered his testimony and and really brought a lot of sorrow into his life, into the life of his family. And and he writes this psalm then, then based upon that experience. In fact, if you look at the superscription or the title of this psalm, it says this, It is for the choir director. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. That's the scripture we read from 2 Samuel chapter 12 when Nathan came and he told him that parable. And David said, that man deserves to die. And I don't know if Nathan put his finger in David's face or not. He probably didn't need to. And what he said... You are the man. Oh, can you imagine what, what David experienced in his heart at that very moment? David, you are the man that deserves to die. You are the one. And so he writes this psalm based on that experience. And it's one of the clearest expressions of repentance in all of Scripture. Pouring out his heart pleading with God for His mercy. There's two things in particular that we need to understand about repentance. First of all, repentance is asking God to forgive us. Asking God to forgive us. In the events that prompted David to write this psalm, if you look at the story, he he broke almost every one of the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Almost every one. He coveted Uriah's wife Bathsheba. He stole her from him. He committed adultery with her. He lied about what he had done. He had Uriah killed in battle. He put his own desires, his own sinful desires before God's command. There were many sins that David needed to confess to God. And it's interesting to notice all the words that he uses to describe what he had done. He uses the word transgressions, verse 1 and verse 3. And this, this word carries the idea of crossing over the line that God has established. Perhaps the best way to illustrate that would be a no trespassing sign, right? If you've been hunting, and you come across some land, no trespassing, when you cross that line... You have sinned. You have stepped beyond. That's the picture we see here. And when David was told in 2 Samuel 11 verse 3 that the woman that he saw bathing from the roof of his palace was the wife of Uriah, that was a no trespassing sign. You don't cross that. She does not belong to you. It is a line that should never be crossed. And David did. Transgression. Verse 2, he uses the word iniquity. One author says that this word describes sin as particularly evil, since it strongly conveys the idea of twisting or perverting deliberately. And we know that God has created us as sexual beings, but to be expressed only in the bonds of marriage. But David deliberately perverted that. He twisted that. Many places in this psalm he uses the word sin, and that's one that's probably more familiar to us. It's it's missing the mark. It It is falling short. It's like you're shooting at the target and you don't hit it. David did not hit the target, did he? He fell short. And maybe the strongest word, that David uses in this psalm is in verse 14. He uses the word blood guiltiness. This word describes what he had done to Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, by telling Joab, put him in the battle in the fiercest place, hoping that Uriah would die. And so David is confessing that he's got blood on his hands. He was the cause of an innocent man's death. And as a result, he deserved to die. You are the man, Nathan said to him. That's why he says to God in verse 4 that you are justified when you speak. And you are blameless when you judge. In other words, you have every right. God, you have every right to condemn me for what I've done you are just in sentencing me to death that's what david is saying and that's quite a contrast isn't it to what we see in our culture today where there 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 doesn't you don't see any responsibility taken for for sin and you've heard all the excuses i stumbled yeah I made a mistake. I'm only human. I didn't commit adultery. I had an affair. Everybody sins. I'm not the only one. So different from David in this psalm. He said, God, you have every right to judge me. Now, the sad thing about it is that It wasn't until Nathan confronted him before he really came to the place of of confessing his sin. There was a period of at least nine months. And finally, when the child was born to Bathsheba and David still had not repented, God sent Nathan to confront David about his sin. Now, what do you suppose it was like during those nine months? Was David thinking, aha, I hid it. I got away with this. Because when he found out that Bathsheba was going to have a baby, immediately he puts Uriah in that battle. He died and then he marries Bathsheba to make it look like this child was conceived after... They got married rather than four. Maybe he's thinking nobody will know. But I'll tell you what, if you look at Psalm 32, which was a psalm written likely at the same time, he describes what it was like during those months. We used it as our confession of sin this morning. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, he says to God, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So what was it like for him? It was no picnic. It was no time of joy and comfort because David was physically and emotionally and spiritually miserable because God's hand of conviction was heavy upon him. Ever been there? Were you not wanting to acknowledge your sin and God's hand of conviction is heavy upon you? You have no peace within? In verse 3 of the psalm we're looking at today, David put it this way He says, For I know, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Ever before me. I wonder what he thought every time he looked at Bathsheba. There's the woman that I committed adultery with, and her husband. I had killed imagine that what about his conscience how do you live with that how do you go about life with a conscience that is plaguing you bothering you I remember hearing a sermon one time where the preacher began by asking who was the greatest preacher ever and he mentions, you know, was it the Apostle Paul? Was it Martin Luther? Was it Billy Graham? And he gives all these examples. And then he says, no, not one of them. And he, his point was that the, the conscience is a preacher. Because you can't get away from it. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to tune in online. You don't have to hear me. You can get away from me. Okay? I hope you don't want to, but you can get away from me. You can't get away from your conscience, And I wonder if that's part of what David is saying then in this text. My sin ever before me. Ever before me. It's no wonder David needed to ask God for forgiveness. David knew that he deserved to, to die. He didn't deserve to be forgiven. And so when he comes to God in this psalm, asking for forgiveness, he's not asking on the basis of justice. Verse one, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. If David was going to be forgiven, it had to be on the basis of God's gracious and loving compassion. He had no other plea but to throw himself upon the mercy of God. I remember when my mother died and we were gathered at the funeral home for visitation. One of my cousins who was not saved didn't know the Lord. She came up to me and she said, Your mother... Was such a wonderful person, if anyone deserved heaven, it was her. And I looked at her, I said, You know what? My mom was in the casket there. I said, If my mother could hear that, she would sit up in the casket and she would say, No way, no way. She knew she needed a savior. She knew she needed to be forgiven. She did not deserve anything but the judgment of God. But Jesus paid the price for her. That's our only plea. Is that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. David uses several different words as he asks God to forgive him. In verse 1, he asks God to blot out my transgressions. Verse 9, same word, blot out my iniquities. He sees his sin as a dark spot or a stain that needs to be removed. I remember our annual conference several years ago in um, in Texas, and I went out to lunch with... Uh, uh, one of our dear members of our congregation. I don't know if I should tell you who it is, but his initials are J.R. Anyhow, and we ate at this Chinese restaurant three times that week. And this man had sweet and sour chicken three times that week, and every time he got something on his shirt. <laughs> and he said he's never eaten sweet and sour sauce since. There was a blot. (laughs) There was a stain. I don't know if his wife ever got it out, but David is saying, there's a blot upon me, a stain. Remove it, God. Remove it. He also sees himself as being dirty in need of washing and cleansing. Verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, "...purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." So David's confident that that God can cleanse him. God can wash him. God can make him clean in his sight. We understand the one of snow, don't we? Uh, Those of us who live in the frozen tundra... Whiter than snow, that's, that's clean, isn't it? The hyssop reference, maybe we're not that familiar with, but what they used to do, a hyssop was like a, a shrub. And it was dipped in blood in various ways in the Old Testament. One way was when the people of Israel were leaving Egypt... Remember how the death angel, the tenth plague, was to come upon the Egyptians? They had to take blood, the Passover lamb blood, and they took hyssop, put it in the blood, and put it over the doorpost, right? Why? When I see the blood, what? I will pass over you. There's, there's the Passover. And we know in the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of that picture, isn't he? That Paul says Jesus is our Passover. And so it's his blood that cleanses us. And, and that's why we can come to God and repentance of sin and know that because of Jesus we can be forgiven. All the guilt and all the stain and all the dirt can be washed away. That's why the word forgiven is one of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. And I'll tell you what, that word was precious to David. He deserved to die. But Nathan told him, The Lord has forgiven you. Oh. Can you imagine the relief? A man who deserved a death sentence. And God says, you're, you're, you're forgiven. So is there sin that you need to confess today? Repentance is asking God to forgive us. But then the second thing we learn about repentance, repentance is asking God to renew us. You see, in the first part of the psalm, David asking, is asking God to forgive him for what he's done in the past, but beginning in verse 10, he's expressing concern about the future. He, he realizes that there's something deeper wrong within him. Something that is at root of his sinful actions, and that is his heart, his sinful heart. And so he, as he thinks of the future, he asks the Lord to do something within him. Notice, notice how he emphasizes that. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Notice how he's dealing with the inner heart, the spirit. Something needed to happen within him. He knows that he needs a clean heart. Because his heart wasn't clean By nature, It's something that God must do. And it's interesting, he uses the word create. Create in me a clean heart. The word create, when it's used in the Old Testament, it is used to describe only that which God does. Anytime you see the word create, it is only that which God does. We might make things, right? Look what's been made here. We didn't create this, right? God is the creator who spoke things into being out of nothing. And and, and David is saying, God, you need to do something in my heart that only you can do. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word steadfast carries the idea of being firm or fixed or established. It pictures someone who isn't easily moved. David was easily moved, wasn't he? Sitting on the top of his palace when his men were out at war and he sees this woman. Who is this? Get her! Oh, that's the wife of Uriah. Uriah, who cares? He was, he was so easily moved. And he's saying, God, create in me, a, a renew a steadfast spirit within me. Help me to be firm and fixed and established. And then sustain me with a willing spirit. And so David asked the Lord to do all of these things in his life because he knows that without the Holy Spirit working within him, he is prone to wander, prone to fall into sin again, and he doesn't want to do that. So after saying, Lord, please forgive me, he says, Lord, renew me. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to fall into sin. What do we see in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Followed by what? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But what does Jesus say? It's not just the past sin that need to be forgiven. We need to realize how weak we are and say, God, help me as I face temptation. I don't want to do that again. That's the heart cry of David. It's not just, I'm sorry for what I've done in the past, but God, I need your help. I need your help desperately. Luther put it this way. A mighty fortress is our God. He says, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be what? Losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord sabbath His name from age to age the same. And what? He must win the battle. Why? Because you and I, don't have the power to do it. We don't. Now before we can really recognize our need for the Lord, we must come to the place, as David describes it here, where we are broken over our sin. Verse 16, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are What? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what is a broken heart? It's not like a guy loses his girlfriend and he's got a broken heart. That's not what David's talking about here, right? He's describing a heart that's broken over sin. One author describes it as a heart saddened by sin and ready to disown it and turn away from it. That's a broken heart. So being broken isn't just feeling sorry for what I've done. Being broken includes a desire to turn away from it. And how did that happen in David's life? You know how it happened? It happened through the Word of God. It happened through the prophet Nathan. When he confronted David with his sin, it was the Word of God that brought brokenness to his heart. And then David said in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord and friends this is why the law of God needs to be proclaimed people don't want to hear the law of God today do they who are you to tell me that I'm wrong that's the attitude of our culture today so we'll just cancel those things that people say are, are wrong and we'll just say it really doesn't matter how you live The law of God needs to be proclaimed so that we are broken before God. We recognize that we have disobeyed His law. We are worthy of His judgment. But in many places today, there's no uh, proclamation of law. It's all just, God loves you. Right? And God would never judge anyone. God would never send anyone to hell. That is false teaching. That is destructive teaching. The law of God needs to be proclaimed. And that's what brought David to the place of being broken before God. When Nathan said, you, David, you're the man. And when we read the word of God and the law speaks to us, what does it say? You're the one. We're no different than David. We may not have sinned in the exact way that David did, but we've broken. Go through the Ten Commandments. Where do we stand? Guilty. And the law of God then crushes us. It it breaks us before God. And that's what causes us then to come to the place where our only plea is to cry out for the mercy of God. And when we cry out for the mercy of God, there is forgiveness. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. As a parent, when your kids have done something wrong and they come to you in brokenness, Mom, forgive me, what do you do? You put your arms around them and you say, I forgive you. And when we come to Jesus in brokenness over our sin, He puts His arms around us and says, I forgive you. I died for you. I shed my blood for you. I paid the price for those sins. You are forgiven. That's why the word forgiven is one of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Notice what happens when when God forgives us. One thing that happens is we become witnesses. We tell others what Jesus has done for us. Verse 13, David says, When you've cleansed me and forgiven me, he said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. What are God's ways? I will teach transgressors your ways. What are God's ways? God's ways are gracious ways and loving ways and compassionate ways and forgiving ways and cleansing ways when you come to Him in repentance. And when you've experienced that in your life, do you not want others to experience that too? Because they need that. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Michael Wilcox says, Might this be what lies behind Psalm 32? After its testimony to sin confessed and forgiven, that psalm is concerned with instruction, with teaching, with counsel. Then he says, who better, get this, who better to pass on the message of forgiveness than a real sinner who has himself been really forgiven? And what greater privilege does he now have than to tell others the good news? Are you a real sinner? I am. Have you really been forgiven? Praise God, I have. I trust you have too. What greater privilege do we have than to tell others the good news? The second thing that happens when we are forgiven, we become worshipers. We bring praise to God. Verse 14, David says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. One author says, As eager as David is, For the blessing of sinners like himself, he is equally eager to uplift before them the God who has done everything well, who is just in condemning human guilt, and yet at the same time justifies those who have faith. Then he says, Sinners forgiven by a righteous God, what theme could be more worthy of praise? What could be more worthy of praise than the fact that God forgives us when we confess our sin because Jesus paid the price? In a cemetery not far from New York City, there's a gravestone there that has just a single word on it, the word forgiven. No date of birth, no date of death, no epitaph, just the name and then the word forgiven. That's a great way to witness, isn't it? Forgiven. So there's a question to the, are you forgiven? Do you want to be forgiven? You need to be forgiven. We all need to be forgiven. Because we've fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the promise to you. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. There's a condition. If we confess our sins. God is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins. And He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, we are reminded, aren't we, of what Jesus did for us. The price that He paid for us. The blood that He shed for us. That we might be forgiven of all our sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your mercy and grace. Thank You for the blood that You shed for us. The price that You paid for us. And we can be assured, O God, that we are forgiven and cleansed in your sight. And so, Lord, as we fellowship around your table this morning, help us to rejoice in that promise that there is forgiveness because of Jesus. For we pray in His name and for His sake. Amen.